Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, TGIF, thank God it's Friday. This is John Katsimatidis of the Cats and Cosby show. Rita, Rita's running a little bit late. She's been in the cab for an hour right now, and and she's still in there, and uh, they're circling her around Manhattan to get her to to our studios. Because it's St. Patrick's Day. It's St. Patrick's Day parade. Manhattan is at a standstill in the studio with us. We got uh, Judge Richard Weinberg and Chairman Ed Cox. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, It's Friday afternoon. I'm glad it's Friday. We need... uh, at least one day off during the weekend. What say you? It's been a heck of a week, you bet. Well, it's been a great parade. The Irish had a great, uh, a great day. Uh, the sun was shining. And, um, I'll tell you, it was the best, uh, St. Patrick's Day parade in a long time. Beautiful mass this morning. St. Patrick's Cathedral. And you were at the, at the St. Patrick's? Absolutely. That must have been beautiful. It was beautiful. Really Don't beautiful. tell the Pope I wasn't. Uh, don't tell the Cardinal. Don't tell the Cardinal I wasn't <laughs> there. Well, we got a mess in our hands. Uh, what a mess in the world. What a mess in the state. And uh, with us uh, today is going to be Ambassador John Bolton to talk about what's going on in the world. Larry Kudlow, what's going on about the economy? That's Melissa DeRosa, what's going on about in, in Albany? Dr. Peter Michalos, are we going to stay alive or we're going to die? And Miranda Devine, oh my God. What, the Hunter be, Biden fiasco continues. Biden is getting worse and worse. And right now, uh, uh, calling in, we have uh, Ambassador John Bolton. Ambassador, how are you today? Doing fine. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Now, these guys, they, 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 what do they do with Putin today? Well, the International Criminal Court has apparently issued a warrant uh, for his arrest on the basis of uh, uh, war crimes that uh, that have been committed as part of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I have to say, while I have no doubt whatever Putin should be held accountable for it, I think Americans should understand the International Criminal Court is not the place to do it. This is not a place that has any kind of legitimacy as we understand it. I think the better place to try Putin would be to get him and have the Ukrainians try him, or if you had a different regime in Russia, have them try him. This this problem with the International Criminal Court's uh, longstanding, you know, we we took our signature off the court during the the court's treaty during the George W. Bush administration for really good reason. If you don't like the institution of the independent council in the United States, uh, the ICC is like the independent council on steroids. So get Putin, hold him accountable. Absolutely. But do it through a legitimate institution. And And, uh, Mr. Ambassador, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. The other thing that was troubling is that the allegation is that the uh, kids and others were being moved out of the Ukraine into Russia. It has nothing to do with the, the and, vast and Zelensky, I understand. Zelensky says Putin had to know about it. And right. you indict a man because Zelensky says Putin had to know about it? I, I didn't understand yeah. that one. And Ambassador Ed Cox here, it boxes Putin in, doesn't it, in the end? Well, I think he's boxed himself in. I mean, I, I would have to say we all hope this war ends with Ukraine victorious soon. I don't see how his regime ultimately survives in Russia. 
Uh, and I think this is this is this is uh, this was this was going to be true whether or not there's a, an ICC case against him. I mean, people like Putin are not influenced by this. Russia is not a party to the treaty. We're not. China's not. India's not. Uh, it really is a court that makes the Europeans happy. Uh, and nobody should think that that uh, that this is really going to affect the course of the war. What I'm what I'm worried about in terms of the course of the war is that we don't have a government in the U.S. that's given a statement of clear goals or develop the strategy how to get them. And the International Criminal Court isn't going to resolve that problem. So Putin finally give excuse me, Poland finally gives four planes, MIGs to Ukraine. How much of an impact can that have on the battlefield? Well, I think it's more a morale impact. I mean, these MIGs are, uh, and and apparently uh, Slovakia is giving its 13 MIGs to Ukraine, although they don't have enough spare parts to fly them there. Uh, but but it's better than nothing. And, uh, you know, I hope it helps speed up our decision to give uh, F-16s. If, if, we had, if we had provided in a coherent, strategic way the weaponry that Ukraine needed eight, ten months ago, I think this war would look very different. And by the way, Ed, congratulations on uh, you're, the, you're the once and future chairman of the Republican Party in New York. Uh, God knows that's a that's a heavy job. Well, thank you for that. I had a piece in the Wall Street Journal, sort of an analogy from what President Nixon did with respect to the Yom Kippur War. Israel's in trouble. They need equipment. The uh, Air Force said, how do we send it? What plane? He said, send everything that flies. And that's what happened. And that saved Israel. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that only a president can do, and I don't think Biden has that capability. Well, Ambassador, you had. I I was going to say, I wrote in the Wall Street Journal that what Biden's policy seems to be is he wants Russia to lose, but he doesn't want Ukraine to win. And that's easy for us to say. It's not our country that's being ground in the dust. And and even worse, if you can't, if you can't. defeat the Russian aggression, the lesson for countries like China is America does not have adequate resolve. We don't have the will to win. And if I were on Taiwan, that would make me very nervous. Well, Ukraine certainly has the will to win, and they are getting extra equipment. They will go on the offensive. If they take the Crimea, what ha- what happens to, to Putin then? Well, I think it, at some point uh, that Putin's regime really does come under challenge, although you know, this is this is a, a very personalized autocracy. When the key to Khrushchev screwed up in the Cuban Missile Crisis, yep. the Communist Party Politburo could say, Nikita, it's about time for you to retire. Well, there isn't any Politburo anymore. I, I think this could be uh, a, a very traumatic fall for Putin, because if it came from the military, you could see internal fighting among units of the military. Uh, it's not it's not out of the question that you might even see Russia itself break up uh, because some of these uh, places are so remote from Moscow, yet with enormous mineral reserves, with a little money from China and back of them, they may say, you know, being an independent country looks pretty good out here. That's the big question. Putin goes, and what happens after that? Russian Federation breaks up. There's a hard right to it. But in the end, isn't it in the interest of Russia not to be a junior partner to China that's 10 times its size in economy and in population and covets its Far East. And in fact, Russia took away part of the Far East from China in the 19th no, exactly. century and China wants it back. So you're a hundred percent right. This is, and I, and when I was in the uh, Trump administration made many trips to Moscow and said to Russian officials, R- Russian people, uh, former officials, 
you know, this is moving in the wrong direction for you. The closer you get to China, the harder it's going to be to get loose. And I have to say, the official line was, we think this is just working out great. And I didn't detect uh, any any chinks in the armor there. I think I think it's a big mistake from Russia's perspective, but it's a big mistake from America's exactly. too. As China China threatens us around the world to have access, really without restriction, to all those Russian. Uh, natural resources, oil, gas, all kinds of minerals that spread out over a huge expanse of territory. It's it's a, it would be a huge loss for the West if China took that territory. Well, what about the nuclear? Then then look look at the from the other side. If in fact they come close to the West in some kind of an entente with respect to China, what friend does China have on its border? Well, th- this is this is uh, this is this is increasingly a problem for China too. They're the ones that have provoked our response. They're the ones that have provoked Japan to say we're going to double our defense budget in ten years. They're the ones that have pro- provoked the South Koreans now to go out of their way to fi- try and find a way to resolve their historic differences with Japan so they can more effectively oppose China together. I mean, this is this is a chain reaction that China started and. Uh, uh, but they 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 are potentially winners in the war in Ukraine either way. If Russia wins, great. China's allies had a victory. If Russia loses, that's great too because Russia becomes more dependent on China. Well, China looks like they're getting a new alliance, whatever we're going to call it. I mean, uh, in James Bond days, what do we call it? Thrush. Uh, you know, you got China aligning Russia, aligning. Uh, Iran. Uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Korea, uh, Korea yeah. uh, Venezuela. Uh, you know, so no, this it's is a, a, it's exactly the opposite of the Cold War. In that China is the dominant partner, but that that axis, which is what it increasingly looks like between the two of them, seems to be returning, and that's not good news for us. You know, if there were a way to pry Russia away from China, I would take it, but I don't see how you do that while they're in the middle of attacking Ukraine. Yeah, I think you can't do it at this point, but at one time. Yeah. You know, and I tell people that, and people look at me funny. I mean, Putin, I think, wanted to be part of the European community. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, historians are going to write about how we lost Putin in the early 2000s. Uh, I know in the early days of the Bush administration, we worked very hard uh, to try to bring them closer to the West, and uh, something something went wrong at some point, and uh, uh, we're, we're seeing the consequences of it now. Yes, we do. Uh what else would you, I mean, we got a couple minutes left before we have to take a break. What else would you like to talk about, Ambassador? Well, I want to say there's some good news here in that uh, President Erdogan of uh, Turkey has now acknowledged he, Turkey will support Finland's uh, application for membership into NATO. We still don't have the Sweden question resolved. You mean Russia didn't but- make the payment? <laughs> well, this is this is a big yeah not yet or maybe they've just made enough for Sweden but uh, but this is really a big deal because now you're going to have the Russian border with Finland a NATO border uh, and that that is a huge development that uh, for for all that's gone wrong in this war it was totally unanticipated but I think the decision of Finland and Sweden to join NATO the best news the alliance has heard in a long time. And, and Finland is ready to fight. They have that capability, much like Israel or other countries that really have been threatened by their neighbors. Yeah, they're very well prepared. They're, they're actually going to now even increase their defense spending even more. They fought a war with Russia in 1939, the Winter War, and held the Russian forces to a stalemate. They eventually came to, to a settlement, but the small country withstood the Russian attack, the Soviet attack, much the way Ukraine is resisting today. 
Well, Ambassador John Bolton, thank you so much uh, for everything you do for our country and continue to speak out for our country. And uh, let's catch up with you uh, soon and have a great weekend. And you too. I hope you get home through the traffic. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, Let's take a break. And when we come back, Larry Kudlow is going to tell us about what the heck is going on with the economy. Is the world coming to an end? Common Sense Recap of the Day's Biggest Stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back. And uh, with us today is uh, Larry Kudlow, the country's leading economist. The number one show on Fox Business uh, came out number one for like 11 months in a row. And the number one show on WABC on Saturday mornings between 10 o'clock and, and 1 o'clock. And Larry Kudlow... The, the world, the solar system wants to know what the heck is going on. There's so many moving parts. Where do you want to begin? The only thing I can say, John, is um, keep your eyes and ears open over the weekend because <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen, honestly. I had a miserable <laughs> dinner on Sunday night. I was walking to the dinner last Sunday night, and all of a sudden uh, my, my phone goes off. They're, they're closing down Signature Bank. Yep. Now, now yep. today... There's a rumor going out uh, around that Monday morning Bank of America is going to take over Signature Bank. Have you heard that rumor? No, I have not heard that rumor. But I look, I I wouldn't. There's nothing out of the question because the the supervision here is very erratic. I mean, the Fed was late last week, and they should have opened the discount window. They didn't have to guarantee the uninsured deposit. They could have done it differently. Put the window in play. I mean. I like this funding, the backup funding that they have. I think that's very good. Uh, this deal with the 10 banks or whatever for $30 billion strikes me as, you know, it's okay, John, but it's not impressive. There was a lot of borrowing. You probably may have seen this from the Fed statistics that come out Thursday night. The discount window was about $325 billion worth. The backstop was about another $150 billion. My suspicion is, and I don't know for sure, but my suspicion is when I see big numbers like that, it's more than a couple of banks we've been talking about. There are more banks involved, probably more regional banks. It's not the big banks. It's the regional banks. So you said keep your eyes and ears open. So what, uh, Larry Edcox, so what differentiates the big banks from little banks? Um, they all have long-term uh, assets, and their liabilities are short-term, and the interest rate's going up on them, this, inter- this intermediation. Uh, isn't, uh, isn't that a problem for a big bank as well as a small bank? Well, it, it, it is a problem, but, you know, what we're learning, and look, I, don't, I hate to, you know, use a broad brush, but the big banks uh, – are better at hedging and managing their liquidity, or at least that's the theory, Eddie. That's not always true, but that's the theory. Uh, But they are very well capitalized, and this is important. Now, you could say, well, the regionals have plenty of capital, regulatory capital, and that would be true. But um, what we've learned is that their, their hedging techniques, their asset and liability management has been lacking. I mean, it may be that this is just focused on a handful of bad actors among these regional banks, particularly in California. The, look, the San Francisco Fed, this is part of this little drama. The mm-hmm. San Francisco Fed, run by Mary Daly, has done a terrible job uh, in their supervisory role, you know, sending in bank examiners, 
and inspecting these things. I mean, they weren't on top of it. And um, mostly Washington didn't hear about this crisis until late last week and over the weekend. So that's a really bad thing. They just didn't do what they were supposed to do. But again, I don't believe for a minute at the moment this is 2008. But having said that, no one is smart enough. No one has a clear enough crystal ball. When, you know, when these things hit, contagion can spread like a virus. And that's why I say it's important to keep uh, on top of the news for folks like us over the weekend. The way I understand it, that the Fed broke records about how much they raised the interest rates, how fast they raised them. And what happened is the value of the bonds in those portfolios went down. The mm-hmm. value of the real estate that has collateral went down. So mm-hmm. it caused capital problems. And mm-hmm. uh, by raising the, the rate so fast and the Fed didn't realize that, that there was a, a bomb, a bomb going off, not only in the real estate industry that, that completely almost uh, has gone south, but also in the portfolios in the bank. And uh, that's my analysis. Well, that's look, that's true. I mean, I would add to that. There's a liability asset mismatch that went on because, you know, you take these banks uh, on the West Coast, for example, and I think it's true for Signature Bank also. Uh, in the last year, they had to pay up for these uninsured deposits. So the cost of money exceeded the return on money because, as you say, as the Fed tightened, look, inflation is the cruelest tax of all. You know, you were running 9% inflation the first third of the year, and you're still running about 5 or 6% inflation. That kills these bonds. They bought those bonds with coupons a couple of years ago of one, one and a quarter, one and a half percent. So they've been slaughtered, and they didn't hedge properly. I also, John, would suggest the loan portfolio, particularly these West Coast banks, the loan portfolio – uh, is not going to turn out to be very flawed. They did a lot of climate change, high-tech stuff, using federal uh, subsidies and a couple of bills that were passed that were very expensive and ultimately inflationary. A lot of small tech companies never materialized. Um, they're going to have subprime ratings. So I'm a little worried it's not only a liquidity problem, but there's going to be a solvency problem in some of these banks as well. Well, So there's a big shaking out going on. Uh, But the other thing, when we talk about raising rates, and and I know Jamie Dimon was yelling about, well, it's got to go to 6%. But a six percent rate on thirty trillion in debt. The last thing I last time I multiplied six percent on thirty trillion in debt. That's one point eight trillion just in interest. On what last year was a five trillion dollar budget, forty percent of the budget is going to be interest. Uh, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, wow. you're a little high, but you're not too high. I, I am. I estimate pretty good. <laughs> you're, you're, you're you're in. Let's just say you're in the ballpark. But look, um, I think it would be very useful if the Federal Reserve paused next week at their meeting. I think uh, whatever happens down the road, uh, and it's a mixed bag because there's signs of no inflation, but there's also still signs of lingering inflation. More good news. Oil was, I don't know, I don't know what it closed at, but oil, as we talked about at dinner, is down to 65. Yes, no, that's I know that's good, and I know you key to that. 
But grocery prices are still high and labor costs are still high. But, 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 I think the Fed should just pause next week, okay? Don't mess with it. If they have some cleanup to do, do it. But right now, let's just, you know, this is like, this is like getting sober, John. One day at a time. Let's get through this. And, and Larry, we'll, one thing we'll that people it. aren't talking about here is the amount of fiscal stimulus that's going into the economy, still going into the economy, from what the Biden administration started with $1.9 trillion and then the Infrastructure Act that's still getting, just getting going and all. Isn't that a, have you ever seen, have you ever seen that much fiscal stimulus going into the economy? No. By the way, I am talking about it. Don't say no one. I am. Okay. <laughs> he's got a set. He's got a seven trillion dollar budget, and it's got four point seven trillion in higher taxes. Actually, which none of it's going to go through because of the Republican House, thankfully, which you helped deliver, thankfully. But I, I, I don't know if you saw the Babylon Bee, but they had this thing how um, uh, Biden wants to tax all the money that the FDIC is giving the uninsured billionaires. <laughs> they give it with one hand, and Biden wants to tax it away with another. It's kind of a sick humor joke, but still, none of this makes any sense. None of this makes any sense. Well, everyone's focused on the interest rates going up, and now the problem with the bank insolvency. That's what I meant by the the lack of focus on the fiscal, the amount of fiscal stimulus. Still, that's still a major factor in this picture and who knows what works out between the three of them yeah you know larry too what about also the confidence and just even in the government i mean we heard from uh, yellen yesterday when she testified uh the system is sound banking sound she's the same yeah. one who said inflation is temporary don't worry <laughs> yeah. about it a year ago uh, is there a, yeah <laughs> well oh, trust us well, yeah, trust trust us. Us. yeah, yeah you, trust us. you know that's a, a sad tale we we've been talking about that here on the on the tv shows um She's ruined her reputation. Um, she was a pretty good Fed chair, and she was a pretty responsible CEA chair during the Obama years. Okay, so I'm a Republican. She's a Democrat, but I know Janet. But she has wrecked her reputation in this position, and I think that's very bad, particularly at a time like this, but I think it's bad in general. She changed her mind today, Larry. A couple of hours ago, I understand Yellen has said, that we're not going to bail out any future uh, banks. Yeah, I heard that, too. Yeah, I heard that that she was saying that as well. Hank Paulson reducts. I I just don't know what that means, John. You know, (laughs) does that mean no more FDIC? If you voted voted Democratic, you you, you get bailed out. If you voted Republican, you don't get bailed out. (laughs) That's what it seems, right? We have to laugh a little bit on a Friday Friday afternoon. if If you're investing in climate change, or diversity, equity, and ESG, you'll get a loan or a bailout. If you want to buy uh, uh, oil or gas or build a pipeline, you don't get a bailout. Yeah, I mean, really, her performance yesterday was just dreadful. And, and I, I, you know, I worked with a very, very, very smart Treasury Secretary in the uh, uh, Trump years, Steve Mnuchin. We worked hand in glove together, NEC and Treasury. You, you. You have to tell the truth. You can't just mimic the president, okay? You have, if, if something comes up, you should pivot and talk about something else. And what she did yesterday at that hearing was just the worst thing I've ever seen. And that's really too bad. 
because we're talking about the country here and we're talking about confidence here and we need the best possible leadership and consistency to get through whatever else is going to happen. Well, Larry Kudlow, have a great weekend. I'm going to be yeah, listening thanks. to you tomorrow between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock on WABC thanks Radio. And right, uh, I'm looking forward to what you're going to be saying tomorrow. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Rita, Eddie. Thank uh, you. We love you, Larry. Thank we're you. We're going to take a break right now, and uh, we're, we're going to be listening to do, Lou Dobbs to find out exactly what the numbers were in the market. And then we come back with Melissa DeRosa, uh, secretary to... Uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo, and she's got a few revelations. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back, and uh, Rita, you had an adventure. I did. I got a tour of Central Park, every direction of Central Park. I hit all the St. Patrick's Day traffic. And by the way, I did see a lot of people in green. I saw a lot of people drinking green drinks and I saw green. I was, I would, my eyes are blue and green, but they were bright red. I saw so much New York City traffic in the last hour and a half. I've never seen the city close down like this. I've never seen blocks and blocks of streets. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick. I'm going to need a drink after this. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, we, um, we're, we're waiting for Melissa DeRosa to get on, on, uh, on the uh, radio, and uh, she's going to talk about what's going on with the budget. Uh, Melissa DeRosa had the most powerful job under Governor Andrew Cuomo. Uh, she was uh, is uh, well, not the secretary, the, the secretary is which is like the chief of staff it's of even uh, more than a chief governor, of staff, more than a chief yeah, of staff. It's big, very powerful. Yep, and I understand she's ready, John. She's yeah. actually in the show. We got I'm her. Introduce her. Yeah, we got her. We got uh, Melissa DeRosa. Sorry about that, guys. How you doing? No right. problem. We're all running late. This is one of these days, Melissa. <laughs> so we got Melissa. Here. We've got the governor's budget. We got the two one house budgets. What happens now? Well, first, Mr. Chairman, let me congratulate you on being renamed chairman. Uh, thank you. That's a very exciting thing for the Republicans in the state. Um, that bad thing for my party. Um, what happens now? So we have the governor and the legislature have now put in sort of their priorities. I mean, look, for better or for worse, uh, for your listeners, the one house budgets that the legislature puts in are sort of more of like a statement of principle. It's this is what I wish would happen in a perfect world. But you know, everyone would like to buy nice cars and expensive things, but you have to live on a budget, right? So when you say you're going to spend $9 billion more than what the governor put in her budget, you're going to end up much closer to the governor's budget than your own. But now they sort of stake out their territory. They dig in their heels and we see where it goes from there. So, you know, the $10,000 question is what happens on bail? What happens on her housing um, proposal? She put out a housing proposal, very controversial with a lot of mandates, particularly in the suburbs, that they reacted negatively to. The MTA payroll tax, which I would argue, even if she wins, she loses, because it's very unpopular, and it will drive the suburbs even further red. And the charter schools, and I think those are sort of her top four priorities. If you want to list a fifth, I would say it's banning menthol cigarettes, which also looks like it's gone sideways. So, you know, now we start keeping score as to who gets what. And I think at the end of the day, she will get something on a couple of these issues. But the question is going to be, what does she get and is it enough? And I think based on what's happened so far, we know where this is going to end up. You're being very generous saying that the one house budgets are based on principle. But it's a, <laughs> I guess based on politics. Maybe there, politics. There we, <laughs> I hate to 
Listen, it's Richard Weinberg. I hate to say that the legislature's gotten something right because most of the time they get it wrong, but they're right about the payroll tax. They're right about trying to stop this uh, government, state government takeover of, of local zoning. They're right on those issues to stop to stop that. Where Hochul is right, she's right on charter schools, but then she has a political problem because of the union. That's right. I mean, look, the, the teachers union would, you know, would lay down on train tracks before they would allow that to happen. And they are the number one donors of the legislative members individually. They pump a tremendous amount of money into elections and they've been beholden to them for years and years and years. And so, you know, it's unfortunate because particularly with Democrats, it's sort of nonsensical when you talk about caring about minority children under privileged um, children, vulnerable children, charter schools really allow them an opportunity to get ahead in the way that more affluent kids have the opportunity to go to private school. And so it's never made sense to me, except it is exactly what it looks like, which is it's the politics of the teachers union sort of winning out. So I think you're right on the charter schools. I think the affordable housing plan, I think that it's, it's, it's the right goal to say you want more affordable housing. I think the way she went about it particularly without getting local buy-in before making the proposal, without hearing from the stakeholders, seeing what they could accept, seeing what is is something we should reach for and work together on, and just sort of announcing it like an imposition is where she went wrong, which is sort of what you saw with Judge LaSalle, right? It's no strategy, no political wherewithal, no how I'm going to get from A to B. I'm just going to put it out there and then sort of watch it collapse on itself. So, Melissa, um, where, then, do you, where do you think it's going to end up on the housing? Because that's a huge issue. Look, I think that it's going to end up much closer to where the legislature is than where she is. I think at the end of the day, they'll put some incentives out there for the for the real estate guys and for the and for the trade unions, the building unions to incentivize some local housing being built. But I don't see that they're going to get the mandate that she laid out which was always very ambitious and which she, she never had a plan to achieve, which, again, it's really easy to go out and say, you know, I want to do everything for everyone. The question is, how do you get there? How do you pay for it? How do you bring the political will along? And that's where time and again she falls down on the job. Melissa, and so I just don't see her, her proposal coming to fruition. Yep. I want to I want to focus you on something else that's very troubling. And we all know if we listen to the show, that 484,000 people have fled the state and uh, cost us uh, productive citizens. Now we see the Attorney General of the State of New York going after businesses by using a price gouging statute and looking to have more comprehensive regulations to make it impossible on an economic sense to stay in business. She's going to be driving retail prices up, consumer choice down and she's going to cost us a lot of business which is jobs and services and taxes what say you you know look tish james the attorney general is as political as they come and so you know we talked about you joked before and you said i was giving the legislature credit by saying it was principle driven it was politically driven and i think you're right about that i think with tish james it's all politics all the time so the question is who does it benefit if what she's doing benefits some special interest benefits someone on the far left you know, you just have to draw the straight line. But to your point, if that is the effect of what she's doing, then she shouldn't be in office for much longer. Because this state, in, in a post-COVID world, where people can work from anywhere, where people have realized they can work from anywhere, where crime is up, where taxes are up, 
where it's impossibly unaffordable to operate. If you're going to continue to layer on additional regulations and additional levies and charges and continue to drive people out, then you're just going to be talking to yourself at the end of the day, and we've got to get rid of politicians well, like that. They're, they're raising, too long. they want to raise all the taxes. We already chased out 484,000 people that are middle class and above that are paying the, that are paying for the, the, the budget that's higher than ever. And now they want to chase out the businesses. Like, give me a break. Yeah, I, you know, one of her deputy attorney generals, I understand, is saying that, well, if there's $100 oil, guess what? You shouldn't raise the prices at the gas station. I mean, this is know, a little no, bit little. They, know, uh, they don't understand anything about the economic it's not our markets. Fault. We, we, That's we, right. They, they don't, don't understand economics 101. No, and it's easy to say those things when you don't live in the real world, you know, and, and, and the unfortunate thing is that when, when you do things like that, it ends up being passed on to the consumer and it ends up being a more regressive tax than anything else because who does it hurt when you have to raise oil prices at the pump? It helps the person that lives on the fixed income. Or the and that's wage what order. happened with President Biden when, the, when oil went to from $55 a barrel to $110 a barrel. It hurt the poor people of our country and it hurt the middle class of our country. Well, you know, then she should be put on notice. And I hope that the people who this affects get the message loud and clear and they push back on it because we can't take any more to make the state less competitive than we already are. Yeah, exactly. That's what the judge was just saying. I mean, we're driving people out. Is there anything else? I what? Love, look, yeah. we all love New York. We want New York to survive. That's why you need a two-party system in, in Albany. Otherwise, no one's making noise and saying, hey, you're making a mistake and saying it in a way that it can stick. Yeah, it's democracy. It's yeah, called democracy. democracy. And Lisa DeRosa, we, we, uh, we have to go on. Thank you so much for calling in. Have a great weekend, and I'll catch up to you. I'll catch up, up with you. Sounds good. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you, Thank Melissa. You. And now I understand we got Dr. Peter Michalos on the phone. Yeah, he's our resident genius of, uh, about everything. He's our resident genius. Let's see. Uh, bring him in. Yeah, in fact, uh, Dr. Peter Michalos, you've got some big stuff on vitamin D and cancer. Uh, tell us about this. Well, first of all, uh, great to be with you guys this evening. And uh, there's amazing things happening with vitamin D. And I think COVID brought about a lot more research on vitamin D. It turns out it's actually not a vitamin. It turns out that vitamin D is really a hormone, and we can get it from either diet, the UVB sunlight from being in the sun, or we can get it from supplementation. And it turns out that they studied and published in the JAMA, uh, which is the Journal of American Medical Association, that persons who were taking vitamin D and had higher levels had a much lower risk of getting colon cancer, breast cancer, and all cancers overall. And we've learned that vitamin D plays a role in immunity, and it helps us protect against things like COVID. And now the studies are clear that those with low vitamin D did not fare as well with COVID, and those with high vitamin D did much better. But the cancer study was very significant, a 17% lower uh, cancer rate. And also, if they found if someone had the proper body mass index or in a, in a normal weight for their height, those people did even better, up to 38% less cancer. And some people who had higher vitamin D levels also tolerated chemotherapy better and seemed to go into remission for longer periods of time. So that's another exciting thing about uh, vitamin D and how helpful it can be. And also the form of vitamin D you take, especially for women, 
they should probably take talk to their doctors first. But the recommendation is take vitamin D, K2, which is together with another vitamin. It seems that it gets absorbed better in the bone when you take it in that form than ending up in, uh, with, with calcium. Sometimes it ends up more in the arteries, but the vitamin D, K2 seems to be the better form of vitamin D as recent research is showing. So all these things are exciting. So ask your doctor to start vitamin D. The thing with vitamin D is when you start it, you got to check your blood levels because the doctor tells you, oh, your D is low. And then you start taking it. But then six months later, a year later, they forget to tell you to check your levels because the mnemonic is addict. A, D, E, K are fat soluble. They stay in your system. So you can actually get very high levels of vitamin D. So your goal is you want to be somewhere around 40 to 50 to optimize your immunity, to optimize your uh, ability to fight off cancers. And this is uh, exciting news in the medical field. <laughs> By the way, I, you have to laugh. Uh, I'm going to call my doctor right away. I've been taking notes. vitamin D and I haven't gotten back to Everybody in the studio is taking notes. By the way, the only other person who told me, by the way, Dr. Mihalos, um, about the vitamin uh, D K2 is the guy sitting next to me, John Katsimatidis. Well, I got it from Dr. Michalos. <laughs> and I, I must make a disclosure. Me and Dr. Michalos on our last blood test, we had similar vitamin D3 levels, almost 40, which was excellent. Well, that's great. Look now, at you now, guys. Is this what's and called telemedicine that we're doing? We're on the same diet. <laughs> now, we're on the same diet. Is, it, yeah, is this legal telemedicine, doctor? And uh, the other thing I'll quickly comment on the medical issue, I don't know if you touched upon it, was the raccoon dog theory where the CDC in China and some international virologists did samples, looked at samples of the old swabs from January 2020 uh, back in the Wuhan market area. And it turns out that they think that uh, uh, there was a predisposition of DNA from raccoon dogs. So this tells us about this wildlife illegal trade that happens in wet markets and how you can bring infections in from wildlife and transmit them to people. So it's something that has to be more regulated uh, around the world, these wet markets with wildlife that people just come and buy and use them for various things. Wow. Well, really interesting. Dr. Peter Mihalos, uh, we love having you on. Uh, we took tons of notes, and I know everybody listening out there did too. Uh, you always have the best stuff, Peter. I'm going to buy a dozen uh, bottles of vitamin D3 with K2 and give them to my friends as presents. Oh, well, now we know what we're getting for Christmas. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> the gift of life. And listen to WABC for future health tips because we want to keep our audience happy, healthy, and alive. You always Thank have the you. best stuff. And I understand you'll be calling in this Sunday for our Sunday catch roundtable. What are you thinking we're going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about uh, the microbiome and more details about how our gut is our second brain and how it turns out that 80% of our immunity is found inside our intestine and our gut and how we have to treat it, what we should be eating to maintain a healthy immune system and even our serotonin levels, which are the happy hormones are also associated as part of it is manufacturing the gut. So we're going to tell people, give them some health tips, then they can discuss them with their personal physician and hopefully make some recommendations to continue to have health and the time to enjoy it. Thank you, Dr. Peter Mihalos. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Sunday morning. Thank you, Cat's team. Thank you. We love you. And by the way, we've got a blockbuster guest coming up. Uh, we have Miranda Devine who broke some huge stuff. Big story today, Hunter Biden now is suing the laptop owner, the the company, the repairman, the poor guy. Oh, my God. Yes, so he's going on the offense and new what details. What did you get, $2? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's take a break, and we're going to come back with Miranda Devine. 
It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. Huge news today. First of all, lots of bombshells tying some of the potential money trails from China to many Biden family members and a new mystery one that's come up. And also now Hunter Biden going on the offense, suing the repair shop owner, the poor guy for what is it? And John? I Two bucks? Hunter <laughs> Biden is hiding in the White House so he can't be served. Wow. I am not surprised. Let's find out. Actually, Miranda Devine with the New York Post joining us. Miranda, you just heard from John. Did you hear anything about this? Yes. Hi, guys. Um, well, it, it just seems a little silly, actually. I, I think Hunter Biden's got um, a lot of money to spend on the most expensive lawyers in Washington, D.C., but, um, you know, they can only do so much with the client they have. And so I think that they're um, so so far their their um, outpourings have been slightly ridiculous. Is he hiding out? Have you heard if he is hiding out? That That is wild. John always has the great inside scoop. You know that, Miranda. <laughs> Hunter is hiding out at the White House with Joe. Would not surprise me because um, he's he's spent a lot of time there over the holidays. And, you know, his daughter Naomi was um, married there and he was there, I think, for Thanksgiving. And, um, he, you know, he, he's, he's very much... Um, I think Joe had lunch, uh, sorry, lunch or, yeah, I think lunch with Hallie Biden, who's his daughter-in-law, who was the widow of his late son, Beau, and the lover of um, Hunter after that. And uh, she's named on um, this James Comer's, one of his bank records, as accepting uh, quite a lot of money from the Chinese, along with Hunter and his uncle, uh, his uncle Jim and some other unnamed Biden, this share of this one million dollars that came from China, and uh, and they, I guess they knew that this was all going to blow up this week, and so Joe's there in Delaware having lunch with his daughter-in-law Hallie, um, so they're all very close, and that's the way the family has always worked. It's always, um, you know, your money is my money, ten percent for the big guy. Uh, Hunter complained about having to give half his salary to his father. Uh, Hunter, all his jobs, every every penny that he ever got was thanks to the fact that he was his father's son. How bad do you think this looks, Miranda? And also, they were talking about this mystery new Biden family member today, like a fourth one. Do you know who that is? I don't know who it is, but I think we'll know by early next week because uh, James Comer, um, chairman of the Oversight Committee, has said that uh, they just all they need to do is subpoena the bank records associated with that name. It's very unusual to have just one name, Biden. Yeah, that's what it says, Biden, just on the bank record. Yeah. It's also very unusual that these particular wires um, out of or transfers out of um, Rob Walker's bank account after he got the $3 million in, unlike every other transfer, every other wire that he's made um, from his bank account, um, in the memo section, there's no nothing written. So normally, Rob Walker, I'm told, uh, wrote what every single transaction was about. But for these particular Biden transactions, there was just a blank. And also for um, the $3 million that came in from China into his bank account, that was very unusual. He never really had anything over about $50,000 come through his bank account. 
So is the mysterious Biden Joe Biden? I would think so. Look, I very much doubt that Joe Biden, he's very canny. He's been running this influence peddling operation for four decades, uh, starting out of Delaware. I don't think he's that dumb that he's going well, to be related. It's, it's not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he's got his 10%, doesn't he, of these deals? He's pretty canny. Uh, the, the, the situation, I think, I mean, from what I've seen, is that there's nothing really direct. I would be very surprised if it's Joe Biden. I would imagine it's another family member. Do you think uh, that the FBI knows and they're being restricted from t- being t- telling the public? Of course they know, John. They've had the they've had the laptop since December of 2019. I've only had it since uh, you know 2020, like October 2020. Not the laptop, but the the hard drive, the copy of the hard drive. Um, so I have the same information that the FBI had. We had it at the New York Post, and we managed to uh, extract out of it um, some pretty important data points, which point to uh, corruption and potential criminal violations by uh, the Biden family and also the involvement of Joe Biden and his family's influence peddling operation. So, of course, the FBI, with all their resources, know about this. And um, what we also know is from the FBI whistleblowers, several, uh, well, at least a couple of dozen of them that have come forward to the Republicans in the House, um, is that... Uh, that Joe Biden was involved and the FBI knew and they had information and they deliberately, certain members of them, suppressed it. You know, Miranda, if you wanted to serve Hunter Biden in the White House, there's no reason why you couldn't do it. The Secret Service know exactly where he is and you can get it. So it's a question of the will of the Justice Department. Miranda Devine, thank you for keeping the uh, public uh, alerted. And uh, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Yeah, blockbuster Thanks. stuff, Miranda. Thank you. And Thank what you are we? So much. We're going to have a great weekend, I hope. Yeah, we're we... going to all have a great weekend, right? And the happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Happy St. Patrick's Day, and what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way, and St. Patrick. Yeah. <laughs>